Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast. I am Alberto Ligi, your host from London. And as our regular listeners know, the purpose of the podcast is to inspire our listeners to be more philanthropic and act sustainably and embrace social entrepreneurship. And before we kick things off, if you press the subscribe button, that would be absolutely wonderful. And today, it's my absolute pleasure to welcome Sonia Giza, who is the founding executive director of Innovation Edge. It's a wonderful organization based in Cape Town, South Africa. Sonia, welcome on board. Are you in Cape Town right now? Yes, I am. Thank you, Alberto. Great. So what I understand about Innovation Edge is that you're doing some really interesting work in terms of entrepreneurial ventures, investments in activities that are focused on children's early years, so early childhood development, early childhood education. And why don't you tell us a little bit about your organization, about yourself, and welcome on board. Thank you so much. Um, Thanks for the opportunity. Yes, so um, Innovation Edge, uh, as you say, is uh, really a platform designed to promote innovation in the early years space. So we look at the early childhood development, the period of development from sort of birth to six years of age when children start formal schooling in South Africa. And we know that um, more than half of children are starting school without the right learning foundations in place. So Innovation Edge was set up to try and bring innovation to the multiple challenges that are preventing children from thriving. And so we um, we set up as an as an investment fund, um, and we build a pipeline of innovations to address these challenges. Wonderful. And are your investments uh, exclusively in South Africa at the moment? Yeah, we started off uh, with really with a focus on South Africa, um, and the intention was particularly, you know, with our international funders in mind. The intention was to see whether. Uh, we could invest beyond South Africa, but also whether we could apply some of the lessons we learned about building um, an investment pipeline uh, beyond South Africa. And I think um, to date our investments have all been in South Africa and we haven't managed to do investments outside of the country for a number of reasons, but we've certainly managed to share lessons. And I think that's been a, a very rewarding part of what we're doing. One of the reasons we've stayed focused on South Africa was because um, the lessons we've learned really highlight the importance of having a deep understanding of the social, cultural, systemic factors in a country that impact on young children. And we have that depth of knowledge in South Africa. And we weren't comfortable that we had sufficient understanding beyond South Africa to be able to really add value as an innovation platform. Um, So what we are doing beyond South Africa is really looking for partners who have that knowledge and then sharing information on our processes and our tools uh, with the hope that they'll pick those up and develop um, similar sort of structures in their countries. And was it difficult to set up a fund? There may be many people out there who are listening and thinking they might want to set a fund in, in their respective countries. And in practice, is it difficult to set it up or do you simply connect with a bank and they'll they'll guide you along? No, so I mean, this takes us really back to the way Innovation Edge was set up, and that might be a kind of a good way of explaining. So um, there were a group of funders who had um, a shared interest in early child development and were investing in early childhood in a fairly sort of traditional grant-making way. And what they were finding was that um, there were just these sort of intractable problems that they weren't able to address. And they were trying to find a way of driving and sparking innovation. 
And so um, they approached me and asked me to establish Innovation Edge. And, and essentially, they each put funds into a pooled fund. And I was tasked with the, uh, with the opportunity and the challenge um, of, of sourcing investments that were worthy of, of that fund. Um, right. And so we actually started off with the funding base, which is incredible. And what's also really incredible, and I think important for anyone else wanting to do this, is that the funders had to be very aligned. So they had to, um, to a large extent, sort of leave behind their very traditional approach to grant making, um, understand that there was a much higher risk here. Uh, we source very, very early stage ideas before there's any sort of proof of feasibility or proof of concept. Um, and that's really critical if we're going to drive innovation in such a nascent sector. And so the funders had to, had to have a shared appetite for risk. They had to understand and accept um, what the sort of failure rates would be. And what was amazing was when we were negotiating the setup uh, with the funders, um, what we all agreed was that if we didn't fail enough, then we weren't we weren't pushing the boundaries of innovation enough. And I think that's a, that was for me that was uh, that was really inspiring, um, and I think that's what's really made uh, made this possible. Is the deal flow origination very challenging? In other words, finding those opportunities that are worth investing in. That is hugely challenging. It's hugely challenging. I am. Um, I think that's, you know, initially the first couple of years, um, our efforts really focused on on that sourcing. And uh, and we tried um, a number of strategies and we continue to experiment. I think that's one of the important characteristics of Innovation Edge is this experiment sort of learning mindset. So we're always experimenting with sourcing strategies and we've realized that at least for now, uh, where the sector is in South Africa, we will need to continue to be very active in even co-creating ideas. So um, mm -hmm. we have we have an open call for chat for for um, investments year round on our website. But we also host particular challenges. Uh, we approach people who we think have have solutions that could be pivoted or adapted to solve an early childhood challenge. So they may know nothing about early childhood, and we go to them and we say, you know, your product could fill a need in this market so there's a there's a lot that goes into sourcing um, and I think that we uh, that's not an area that we've perfected yet but we've certainly learned many very valuable lessons along the way what's the team look like it sounds like you're very proactive in terms of getting a, an understanding of the layout in which you operate the different stakeholders and uh, needs that you might have and then making those overtures so that you get people who might be interested in connecting with you. What does the team look like? Who's there and what skill set do they have? Well, it's really interesting because I'm the only person from the team that comes from a sort of more traditional development background. Uh, everybody else we've attracted is from very diverse sectors and that's mm -hmm. quite purposeful. So we wanted people who would had diverse ways of thinking, different experience, and very importantly, different networks. So I think that's that's really critical. So we were a very small team. There's there's eight of us, um, and and, um, and as I said, we come from very different sectors. But we also we also use our diverse networks quite effectively. And the other thing that's important is that at least some members of the team have to have deep understandings in the different sectors 
try to traverse. So I come from a development background. I have a deep understanding of um, development issues in this country, but also um, government systems and processes. We have other members of the team that come with a better understanding of the entrepreneurial landscape. Um, understanding of startup and, and the venture space. We have uh, team members who have a good understanding of um, financial instruments, uh, impact investing, and how you structure deals. So that was very important for us yeah. um, that we that sort of mix, which is not typical of a nonprofit organization. Well, that's great that you have all these complementary skill sets and backgrounds. The sort of investments that you do, would you qualify these as impact investments or social investments or ESG integrated investments? How do you... How do you um, What's the label that you put on that? We uh, we actually spent a lot of time going around trying to find the label uh -huh. for what we and uh, we realized that it's very um, the labels we use are need to be relevant to the target audience. So one of the um, one of the key things for us in in, in supporting innovation in the space is is really making very unlikely connections okay. between and ideas who wouldn't otherwise come together. And what we found there is that there's often a communication barrier. So you bring people together who come from very different sectors and they use very different terms. Some people will be talking about VC, others will be talking about um, grants or startups, or uh, there's just a, a variety of different lingo. So um, we like to think of ourselves as an impact first investor. We make investments in for-profit um, ventures, but we also do grant making to for-profit and non-profit uh, ventures where grant funding is the is the most appropriate financial instrument. Um, we've taken equity um, in some of the startups that we've supported, uh, but we're very open to a variety of different kinds of, of financing instruments. We've experimented with outcomes-based financing models, um, and we yeah, and we try to really bring flexible resources um, and a flexible approach to resourcing. Um, and at the end of the day, really, our resources go in at a very early stage, so they help to really de-risk the opportunity. And mm -hmm. then we often leverage funding from, from others who come in sort of further down the, uh, the life cycle of the investment. And are your investors expecting a financial return of sorts? They might be happy to forego some financial return in exchange for a societal return of sorts. Yes. So the way our uh, core fund is established is it's an evergreen fund. Any any returns that are made out of that fund would come back into the fund. So none of our core investors expect a financial return on that core fund. But what they do have is they have preference over investing in initiatives that come through our pipeline. And so we've seen that some of them uh, further down the line then have the opportunity to make direct investments in some of the initiatives that we've de-risked through the pooled fund. Um, and they can then negotiate the terms of that. Typically, um, we retain some sort of role in governance and decision-making to make sure that the initiative remains uh, mission-aligned. So some of our business ventures, for example, could be successful businesses if they're very successful, if they weren't um, also trying to have a social impact. And we want to make sure that they remain impact-aligned. So, so anyone coming on board as an investor further down the line would also have to be willing to accept uh, compromised financial returns in order to ensure maximum social returns. Got it, got it. And how do you get all of these, um, all of these investors in the room? How do, you, how do you connect the dots? You mentioned you have such a diverse stakeholder base, different people, different terminology, different backgrounds. 
how do you go about setting the right environment for individuals to come together from all of these different settings? Our core group of funders has remained quite stable uh, from the first group that came in and then there's a group of five. Um, we've added another one to the core group. Um, and then what we found is it's really interesting because different uh, different funders are really have different sort of appetites for risk and different, even even when they're thinking about about social impact, um, not even thinking about a financial return. Some some funders are not prepared to put in funding for something that hasn't yet been proven. And so our challenge is really to make sure that we that we make the right sort of matches. So um, so we have uh, we have a very good uh, network of of funders operating in South Africa, and we keep them updated on our work and and we customize opportunities. If we if we know, for example, that they're particularly interested in in ed tech, um, mm -hmm. education technology, education technology yep. exactly, or in thinking about how to make um, uh, literacy more um, appropriately delivered in multiple um, South African languages, you know, we would then approach them with particular um, innovations that we think are suited to their strategy. But it's um it's it's a time consuming process, and it's and I think it's something that we are sort of practicing and hopefully can become more efficient at over time. And this uh, Think Future uh, conference that I've heard so much about, what is that? <laughs> so we, um, we really look at our activities in three in three buckets. So we speak about um, we speak about commissioning innovation, and that's really largely what we've been talking about so far in this interview. Is really how we find and make investments. Uh, we speak about um, communicating innovation, and there we really look at how we can communicate not just what we do, but what we've learned from what we do, and what tools uh, we've developed and can share with others, and what's worked and hasn't worked. And then the third bucket is connect for innovation right. and that's we found absolutely important and so we have a number of strategies for connecting as I mentioned earlier we really try to make very unusual connections and we have this um, flagship event that sort of really characterizes our approach to connecting and it's called Think Future um, we had the first one in 2017 and this is the second one and our intention is to uh, facilitate the, the workshop, the conference every second year. And what Think Future aims to do it, it's, is to really uh, curate a program that stimulates um, unusual thoughts and, 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 and connections between concepts, but also curate participants um, that are able to make unusual connections. And so we have 250 participants um, coming from uh, probably 20 different countries. Wow. Um, half of these participants do not work in the early childhood development space. And that in itself is a massive undertaking to persuade you know, 125 people who don't, who aren't focused on early childhood, that it's worth coming to South Africa and spending three days of their time at an event is a huge challenge. But that is, is, is the absolute core of Think Future, is bringing new, diverse and disruptive thinking to bear on the challenges that we face and helping each person to leave the event with a fresh perspective on what they can do, how they could do things differently, uh, or how they could just apply what they do to making to making an impact. How might somebody find out about Think Future? So in other words, the people who are coming from overseas, how do they find out about it? What enticed them to pick up the phone and call you to come around? Or, or how did you identify them in terms of being interesting stakeholders that you want to have with you in South Africa for Think Future? 
So the first time we held the event, we had no track record, um, and uh, and that was really challenging. And we really had to draw on our existing networks. Um, this time we have a little bit of a track record. So so when we contact people, they say, oh yeah, I've heard of it, or we can share with them um, a, a video we did, or a little bit of background information. So it's slightly better, but. In essence, it's almost like we headhunt our participants. We we have we headhunt people. We have an application process, so people complete a very simple form. And and in order to ensure that there's the right mix of people, we don't accept everybody who applies. We want to make sure that there's the right combination. And so for this year, we've still had to do a lot of um, our own sort of legwork to get the right participants. But we're really hoping that over time, the reputation of the organisation and the event itself will enable us to do to have more of a choice and selection around the participants who come yeah you mentioned at the start of the podcast and a little bit later on as well about your tools and processes and when you're talking about your tools what does that mean are, are there specific um, innovations that you're deploying in the market or when you talk about tools what does that mean when, we, when I was talking about tools, really talking about our, our internal tools. So, so for example, our, our strategies that we've used and tested to, to source, to, to stimulate um, an ecosystem of innovation within South Africa around ECD. So that that's early childhood development. So um, tools around that, tools around how we how we track um, the, the the progress of our investments. So we have a tool um, that helps us to track our investments from source to scale, and it takes them through a seven-step process. And in each step, we have a set of questions that we know we need to ask um, to make sure that they're progressing um, as we want them to towards scale. So these are the kinds of tools that we've really developed from experience. Obviously, um, we draw a lot on other people lessons we look at the literature um, but then we've adapted all of that and developed very practical hands-on tools that we use as a team to help us to 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 keep to source um, innovations and then to keep them moving steadily through the pipeline but also really importantly to prune them sure. so um, we've really had to be quite um, realistic about what we're able to manage and that requires us to to be to know when it's time to cut uh, mm -hmm. When it's time to prune something for investment, so those are the kinds of of tools I was I was speaking about. And then obviously there's our actual investments themselves, some uh, which you know which I can tell you a little bit about. That sounds wonderful about these tools and how you how you develop them. Are these a, a closely guarded secret, or are you happy to share the wealth of knowledge and insight with others who might think, ah, well, I'm based in Brazil, I'm I'm focused in innovation and early childhood, or some other. SDG related uh, topic, but I could benefit from seeing how they're doing it in South Africa. Do you do, you do much cross-pollination of ideas with, with folks um, elsewhere? That, um, that is our absolute delight. If, uh, if anybody is interested in any of the learnings, uh, any of the tools, I mean, none of them are are packaged in a way that we would want to claim that they're finalized or perfect, but we're very, very happy to share them, even very work in progress tools, because we've realized that, I mean, it adds such value to us and our processes when people engage with the things we've developed and give us feedback. Um, it's very important to us that we can understand context. And so where we have uh, where people have shown an interest in our tools and, and we've shared them and they've given us feedback, it's always added enormous value. So we absolutely really welcome collaboration at all levels. That really is great. That really is great. You're viewing it as a public good, um, which, is, uh, which is wonderful. In terms of those individuals who 
come around and, and, and engage with you guys and they say, yeah, it looks interesting, we want to get involved, must they be uh, South African-based investors or could an investor be from overseas? And are they necessarily individuals or foundations or really it just it comes in all sizes? Our funders, um, I don't know if I should mention our funders, but they are international as well. Amidia, the Amidia Network mm-hmm. is, is one of our key funders, the UBS Optimus Foundation. Um, and then uh, we have Elmer, um, yeah. Elmer Philanthropy, and then um, local funders, um, the DG Murray Trust, um, the First Rand Foundation. So so we do have, um, uh, we have uh, E-Squared is another funder. Uh, Yellowwoods is a supporter of our initiative. So, so we do have international and local funders, and we welcome both. Um, what we find um, really beneficial about having international funders is the fact that there's a cross-pollination element, again, sort of a connecting. So our international funders are then able to take the work that they see us doing here and look at opportunities to share this um, across the other portfolio of work that they do. So that's fantastic. And then in terms of those are sort of our sort of core sets of funders. Mm-hmm. And then we also have, as I mentioned, people who come in and they're particularly involved, they're particularly interested in, in an investment um, and then they might uh, support that investment either through us. So, so we manage that then. So we continue to play um, sort of an oversight and support role with that investment. But the funding comes through us and we then pass it on to the investee. Or alternatively, they might invest directly um, in, in one of our investees. And they do that then obviously just on the terms that they negotiate with them. All right. I mean, those are some serious investors that you've named there, and um, well, UBS Optimus and Alma Philanthropies. What does uh, success look like to you in the next 10 years? So as we're heading up to the Sustainable Development Goals in 2030, and if we were having this conversation in 10 years' time, how would the world be a little bit different? There are two things that we're hoping to really achieve um, over the next 10 years. Um, I guess the one is in relation to our pipeline and the other is in relation to our purpose as an organization. So uh, for our pipeline, we're wanting to really, really have demonstrated our ability to take highly impactful innovations from source all the way through to sustainable scale, which in our sector is no mean feat. It really is a challenge to do that. Um, so if we're able to demonstrate our ability to do that, not just once as a kind of once-off, but actually to do that repeatedly and to have several innovations that we've been involved in birthing and that we've then um, managed to successfully launch into the market independently and, and that they continue to scale sustainably, that's that's the one thing. So so that's our pipeline. The second goal for us is around our purpose. So mm-hmm. we know that in South Africa, less than half of children are starting school on track in terms right. of the sort of basic foundations for learning. And um, SDG uh, goal four point two speaks specifically to uh, to early childhood development. And uh, one of the indicators for that is um, countries are supposed to track. The, the percentage of children who are developmentally on track um, before they enter school. And so for us, we've really aligned our goals to that indicator. And at the end of the day, we'd like to see many, many more children, significantly more children in 2030, starting school with the right foundations for learning. 
so one of the things we've done um, is to actually, uh, firstly, we commissioned the development of a child outcomes tool that would be able to answer that question because we never had one in South Africa. And that's been work we've done over the last three years. And that's been standardized now for the South African population. It's available in all 11 official languages and it's been widely used. The second thing we did was to partner with business um, and with national government to motivate for the use of this tool to actually um, establish an early years index. Mm -hmm. And the intention is that we would do a national uh, sample uh, of children every three to five years to be able to track whether over time we are getting progressively closer to the ideal of having 100% of children start school on track. And so by 2030, uh, we would hope to have this indicator well established, have at least two rounds of national data collected, and to be able to see some improvement in those trends. In terms of tracking particular investments, since you do have a financial element, but you might have also other forms of return that are not financial, how challenging is it to, to quantify and track how some initiative is performing? It is challenging. Um, we we have developed some metrics that are um, that we believe can be generically applied across a diverse portfolio. So, um, over the last four four and a half years since we've been making investments, we've made thirty six investments, um, and they really they they are investments in sort of three types of things. The one is in in a product or service. Uh, the other is in um, a platform that is already at scale where we leverage the platform mm -hmm. uh, for social impact. And the third area is around data tools and insights. And for each of those, uh, we have um, we have targets that we would expect um, those investments to reach over time at sort of different stages of development. I mentioned our sort of seven stage process. So we have sort of targets that we'd like those, those investments to meet at different stages. And those are really targets around Prototypes, so having a good working prototype, um, having the prototype um, demonstrated within the context, our target context. Uh, they must all have um, a viable revenue or funding model and obviously a good strong team in place. Um, and then we make sure that over time they're moving closer to being sustainable and scalable. And then one of the things in terms of, in terms of return, so there's the two sort of I suppose things, the one is looking at the financial return um, and the other one's looking at the social return. So in terms of financial return, because many of our investments are not profit making, some of them are, but not all of them, we look at leverage. So we look at what sort of in uh, what returns have been leveraged of that investment. Uh, so that means that somebody else might have come in and and put additional grant funding in, or it means that it might have actually been revenue generating. And our initial target was to leverage five times our investment mm -hmm. over the life cycle of the portfolio. And then in terms of outcomes, we look at we look at three levels of sort of social uh, social impact or outcomes. The one is some of our investments are really focused on achieving greater efficiencies or effectiveness within government systems. And so we would look at the extent to which they achieved that. And there, you know, if you improve the efficiency of a government system, you could potentially impact on millions of children, but at a very sort of light touch level. Then we look at impact at the level of 
Some of our investments, for example, are designed to shift the ways in which ECD practitioners or teachers, early childhood practitioners or teachers, are working and operating in their classrooms, mm-hmm. or the way in which parents are engaging with their children. And there, the change we would look for is actual change in behaviors, a change in practices that we believe will improve outcomes. And then the third and the ultimate uh, sort of measure of impact that we have is actually child outcomes. So we look at seven child uh, developmental um, domains and we look at the extent to which our interventions, our investments have improved those outcomes. So you can see it's sort of multi-layered and we've been trying to sort of take into account the varied nature of our portfolio. You've given this a lot of thought. Do you work very closely with uh, the management teams of the companies in which you invest or with the relevant civil servants? Obviously, the deal flow origination is challenging, but I imagine also interacting with these uh, individuals who have received the funding or the investment must be time-consuming as well. Absolutely. Um, I think one of the biggest lessons for us has been that the financial investment is really the smallest part of the value add. So our typically our investments are not very big. Um, we, we give around 80,000 US dollars in an initial investment round and then we can do repeat investments but typically the value that we bring is is much more hands-on so um, we sit on boards we help uh, navigate complex government dynamics and relationships uh, we help with business modeling we, we help we provide legal support um, networking strategic support sometimes we are very operational and and that's really why um, uh, we don't sort of ever anticipate our portfolio um, going very large, but rather sort of maintaining our objective is to make six to ten new investments per annum. How did you get into this? This sounds fascinating. How did you how did you find yourself where you are now? What, what was your career trajectory? Were you planning on ending up in something along these lines? No, no, it's been a it's 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 been a wonderful curveball. Um, I um, I was involved in in very hands-on development work from university days, so always focused on on children's issues, but um, uh, working for non-governmental organisations that were either delivering services or monitoring, evaluating services, um, and then. I consulted for a number of years to a range of different funders and government departments, and there I was really helping them to um, to understand um, government systems and understand how they could best invest their money in in programs for the greatest um, greatest impact. And one of my funders, the DG Murray Trust, then approached me and said, "Look," um, or one of my clients at that point, and said, "Look." Um, we'd like to set this an innovation fund up. Would you be interested in in, in doing it for us? And um, I said, look, I'll try it for a year or two and just get a sense because I was quite enjoying the, the independence of consulting. Um, but I really got hooked. And I think what hooked me was the fact that it was um, – it, it, it sits really straddles very, very different sectors. So um, it really requires a deep understanding of government, of the nonprofit space, and of the business world. And I just found that it was an incredible learning opportunity. That's amazing. What's the key takeaway for our listeners? If they walked away after the show and remembered one thing, what would that be? What's the, what's the key takeaway, word of wisdom that you might have for them? I think that people tend to compartmentalize their lives. Um, And so, for example, you might be a very successful business person. And then in your spare time, you might do some work for a charity and you do something completely different from what your skill set is in business. 
And I think what we are trying to unlock here is really trying to find a way of marrying um, marrying those different things. So where we see that people can really add value is where they have this aha moment between what their core competencies are, their core skill set, and the desperate need that there is out there. And then people can really make exponential contributions. And so I think it really is to be, to kind of, I guess, to understand what assumptions you're making about about where you can make a difference um, and to make sure that you sort of, yeah, that you're open to finding those connections between what you're good at and what's needed. That's great. How can somebody get a hold of you if somebody's interested in this conversation and they think, well, I'd like to reach out to, uh, to Innovation Edge, to Sonia, and... Um, and find out more or get involved or, or get some insights from them. What's your website address or email address? What's the best way for somebody to reach you? Great. Yeah, we'd love to hear from them. Um, our website address is www.innovationedge.org.za. And my email address is Sonia, S-O-N-J-A, at innovationedge.org.za. Oh, wonderful. Well, Sonia, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on board today. Uh, a lot of learning. Uh, for me and for our listeners as well. So that's great. And I wish you continued success as you grow this venture. Uh, hopefully you get uh, additional support and hopefully the deal flow origination just moves the way you want. And, uh, and thank you so much. Really, uh, really great speaking with you today. Thanks, Alberto. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Do One Better podcast. If you want to find out more about our show, about our guests, additional links and resources, visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I dot org. And don't forget, success at the Do One Better podcast is about inspiring you to be more philanthropic, to think more about sustainability, and to embrace social entrepreneurship. Hopefully, these stories will encourage you to take action and change the world around you for the better.